All right. Well, this is our third week wrapping up of, can we get those circles up already? Of our three circles here of gospel content, community, and cause, or gospel, community, and mission, as we might see out in the hallway here. Um, so we did, two weeks ago we did content. What's the content of the gospel? Anybody remember our definition of it? The gospel is the what? Yes. Good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, resurrection of Jesus. All right, we're getting it. That was a little better than last week. Okay, and then last week we talked about community. And we, For those of you who are joining us here for the first time this Sunday, um, we've talked about a lot how we tend to overemphasize one of these circles or two of these circles to the neglect of all of the circles, all of what Christian, Christian maturity is, how we need all of them. And what we want to be is the star in the middle, informed by and changed by all three of these things. So today we're talking about mission. Before you do that, though, anybody have any good stories of last week of experiencing gospel community, of how somebody else in this room or in your house or in another Christian in Albuquerque has encouraged you or served you? Anybody? All right, this is something we got to work on. All right, I don't know what the deal was with Greg without y'all not talking, but we're going to talk here, okay? So when I ask you a question, uh, you can volunteer and then tell me a story. Anybody got anything? I'm sure some of you experienced some goodness of God's people around you this week. Yeah. So God used his people around you to encourage you. Anybody else got anything? You and then you. Speak really loudly, by the way. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, great. All right, these are good stories. So we... Like we talked about last week, we're not created to live life alone as Christians. We, God has provided us, those around us, to build us up, to encourage us, and for us to grow together in gospel maturity. Okay, so here we go. The last one, gospel cause or mission. And I think our tendency as Christians is to kind of make this the add-on. Like if we grow and if we understand the content of the gospel and then we you know, have some good relationships with each other, that's all great. And then if we have time for mission on, the, on, the, on top of that, then that'll be great. 
But if not, no big deal. What I'm going to say to you guys today is this third circle is just as important as the first two. And we can't neglect this and treat this as an add-on. This is vital to your life and to our experience as a church. Um, so it's not just an add-on to the Christian life. It's the very reason God and Jesus have left us here, right? Jesus talks about, in the book of Matthew, how he's left us here until his name is proclaimed in all of the nations. Paul talks about how God is leaving us here until the fullness of the Gentiles are brought into his kingdom. So he has left us here to be on mission towards the world. So this is why it's important. It's not just an add-on. We're not going to just do like once a year, we're going to talk about, we're going to have our evangelism talk and get real fired up to go share the gospel with our friends and our co-workers or whoever, and then a week later we forget about it, right? No, this is, this is, a, this is a part of our very DNA as Christians. So we want to talk about this a lot and think about how we can do this together. So I'm kind of blowing the conclusion of my sermon here, but I'm going to show you guys that our tendency is just to think about mission, evangelism, whatever that means, um, as something that I have to do by myself. What I want to propose to you guys and what we're going to start thinking about over the next few months and years is how we can do this together as a community, how the community and the content circles overlap the mission circles. So then it doesn't just become a thing about how, oh, man, I stink at mission or I stink at evangelism, and then it becomes a burnout thing, like I feel guilty about it. But no, then it becomes something great and vital and part of our livelihood as students and as families as we do this together towards our friends and towards the city and the world. Okay, so what are, can somebody just like try to define mission like as you think about it? What, what do you think? What's the first thing you think of when I say we're talking about mission today? What are we talking about? Spreading the gospel. Okay, good. What else? What? Giving. Good. Why, why do you say that? Okay, good. I saw another hand. Somebody? Okay. Well, I think that typically most of us just think about um, mission as like evangelism. So I'm going to go out and I'm going to preach the gospel to my friend and he can take it or leave it. And then if he... If he leaves it, then forget it. We'll try somebody else, right? This is the way I kind of thought about mission as a junior high and a high school student, a mid-high. Sorry, I was a junior high student in Texas. Um, so, but I think mission is much more than that. I think when Paul talks about mission in 2 Corinthians 5, he calls us ambassadors. He calls us pretty much ministers of reconciliation. We've, we've talked a lot about this word reconciliation in the last couple weeks, but I don't know if we've really ever talked about what that means. So what does it mean to reconcile something? Yeah. Make right. So I don't know if your parents have a checkbook that they reconcile every month, but they're making sure they have enough money in their bank account with the amount of checks that they've written. They're making it right. Or when you are in an argument with your brother, you might stew for a couple hours, and then after a couple hours, you come back and you reconcile each other. So when Paul talks about a ministry of reconciliation, I think he's talking about much more than just 
spreading the gospel. It's true that God, when we believe the content of the gospel, reconciles us to himself as sons and daughters. He makes us right through the life, death, resurrection of Jesus. But I think he's reconciling more than just our personal life. I think he's reconciling a fallen, sinful world to himself, and he's making all things new. So then, if we think about reconciliation, mission, as God reconciling a falling world to himself, then it becomes more than just, how can I share the gospel one time with my friend and be scared about it and then take it or leave it after that? I think it becomes more than that. So what is it then? Um, well, Jesus didn't just preach the gospel to, to, to people. He restored them to community. So he restored them into the content of the gospel, and then he brought them into the people of God. So when we talk about restoring into community, uh, we think about more than just preaching the content of the gospel. Yes, that is absolutely true. And we want to preach the gospel and call people to repent um, through the life, death, resurrection of Jesus. But I think it's more than that. It's, it's caring for people, actually caring for their lives, and not just a take-it-or-leave-it thing, but I'm going to invest my life into this person and actually care. So, before we get really going, I want to just say two things, kind of the basis of what we're going for here. When we talk about mission and Christian maturity, I think we want to have a missional mindset in our heads that says, this is not the life, our, our autonomous individual lives that we talked about last week, of how we avoid community is not what we were made for. Our, the life that we are made for is worship for God in community towards those around us who are not reconciled to God. Okay, so when we, we want a missional mindset where we're thinking about caring for those around us, not just ourselves. And then if we have that mindset, what is the action that flows out of that mindset? Okay, so that's what we're going to talk about. What's our mindset and what's the action that flows out of that mindset? To do that, we're going to look at a short little story that probably gets blown over a lot when you're reading. Uh, if you have it, have your Bible open to the book of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, the third gospel. This is a really short story, but I think it's an important one. Verse 27 through 32. Can I get somebody to stand up and read that really loud? Sorry. Just verse 27. You figure it out. Uh, chapter 5. All right. Stand up and read it real loud. 27 to 32. Okay, so we've got Levi, and he's a tax collector. We talked a little bit about tax collectors when I was here a couple months ago, and we talked about the Pharisee and the tax collector, but who's a tax collector? What is, what's important or significant about a tax collector when we read about one in the New Testament? What? 
Yeah, why? Why were they hated? Yeah, okay. So Rome goes in, conquers an area, in this case, uh, Jerusalem or the surrounding areas. And so we've got Jews here, and Rome comes in, conquers the area, and then starts to employ people. So in this case, they're employing a tax collector. So we've got a Jewish guy going out and ripping money off from his Jewish brothers and sending it back to Rome. So we can understand why the Jews aren't a big fan of these guys. So we've got Levi, the tax collector. His life is much like many of ours, completely self-absorbed, living at the expense of other people, not for their good. You guys feel that way a little bit sometimes? Remember we talked about even the good things that we do, coming to church, being involved in this group, can often, often be just about my needs. Am I enjoying it? Am I making friends? Are people nice to me? Whatever. Just living completely self-absorbed lives. We've got Levi. And Jesus walks by, and he's a good Jew, right? Jesus. And he should... Like the other guys, hate this guy for selling out his brothers to Rome. But what does he do? He looks at him in the eyes, and he says, follow me. Does anybody incidentally know who another name for Levi? He's called a different name elsewhere in the New Testament. Anybody know? Matthew. This is the writer of the book of Matthew. So in, in the book of Matthew, we read this a similar account where Levi becomes a disciple of Jesus, and then writes an entire letter about him. Okay? So this is not just some passing story, but this is a very formative story in not only Levi, Matthew's life, but in the history of the church. Okay? So he dignifies Levi's humanity. He doesn't just say, you're do, you're, not only are you not really doing anything for me, but you're a sellout to our people, but he actually looks at him and he dignifies him with an invitation to follow me. Now, what do what are most if you could just say let's pretend that you were a non-Christian at your school or whoever. What do you think your perception of most Christians are? Judgmental, hypocrites, weirdos, um, I think a lot of times, most non-Christians just think we talk a lot. That we're just yapping away, like we've got all the answers. Or, that they don't even know we're Christians. Maybe even worse, or maybe not. Both of those are not good things. So, we often confuse access to the truth. We have the truth God has given us with an accurate handling of the truth in your life. And so I just preach these truths to you and then take it or leave it uh, and then whatever. Without really getting to know you, understanding how the gospel speaks to this person's life, their pains, their sorrows, what's going on at home. And yeah, we just talk away, talk away. I was a student at University of Texas, which is a big school. There was, my freshman year, there were 52,000 undergraduate students there, which is a lot of kids. Um, and like most big public universities, it's pretty hostile to the gospel, okay? 
But the week before um, Thanksgiving, there would be always two guys on the campus. One guy, actually a guy and a group of guys, would stand on the main drag with a sign of the World Trade Center and smoke um, with a megaphone telling these students how if they continue on in sin and drunkenness and everything else, that they will end up just like the people in the towers, burning in hell. Guess how many people stopped to have a conversation with this guy? Not many. Maybe through God's sovereignty, people came to faith. I never saw it. However, that same week, the week before Thanksgiving, Monday through Wednesday, yeah, Monday through Wednesday, the week before, there was a guy named Cliff Connectly. He was with Probe Ministries, and he would come, and he would set up a, two speakers about this size with a microphone, and he would give about a 30-second gospel presentation, the content of the gospel, and then just stand there. And people would ask him questions. Questions, I mean, you name it, it was there. How can God allow suffering in the world? How can there be, why, is, why can you claim that Christianity is the only way to heaven? Um, gosh, everything, every ethical question, every religious, philosophical question that you could think of. And he would stand out there for three or four days every year and answer with such grace and truth. And I know of people who have come to faith in Christ because of his ministry there, just answering questions, just listening and, and answering as humbly and as thoughtfully as possible. Now, think about the comparison of those two guys and how we think about mission. And if, you could, if these are two opposite ends of the spectrum, where could you put yourself in those? Of just yapping away or actually listening? talking with truth and grace. I think God has called us to be listeners. This is what we tend to do when we think about mission and sharing the gospel, about mission in, 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 in terms of dialogue. So I stand at the front with my megaphone and preach the gospel, take it or leave it. But in reality, most of the time when Jesus is talking to non-Christians in the New Testament, he's doing so not through I said, I said dialogue a minute ago. I meant monologue. We think about mission as monologue. I stand up here and talk. Jesus, rather than monologue, he rather usually talks about himself and the truths of God through dialogue. We think about John 4 and the, the Samaritan woman at the well. How does he speak to her? He asks her questions. And then when the moment of truth comes, when uh, she kind of reveals herself in sin, he says, I am the one. Okay? And so he... Definitely calls her to repentance at, at some point, but only after conversation with her. So are you guys good listeners? So not only are you good listeners, but are you, what are we listening for? Well, we're listening for ways to serve people. There's a guy that was on staff at our church, was the best missional listener I've ever met. So he met a neighbor when they moved into their house. They moved to Austin, and they moved in their house and had some people over um, for dinner. And there was a young couple with four kids under eight years old. And he just asked them, hey, when's the last, what's the last thing y'all did for a nice date? And they were like, gosh, I don't, I don't think we've been on a date since we've had kids in eight years. So 
Kevin and Cindy, my friends, said, all right, once a month, we're babysitting. So you guys can go on a date. And the only reason he found that out in a way to serve them was by asking questions and listening for ways to serve them. So then, as he got to know them and they began to trust him, he began to listen for ways to pray for them. So this is what we should be doing as well. How can we pray for you? How can God, through his people, begin to reconcile you to himself? And then, at some point, then Kevin, through relationship, through they beginning to trust him, and knowing that they actually care for them as people, then they began to, they got to share the gospel with them. Okay? So, listening. This is one aspect of what we see um, in this, when Jesus dignifies people for their humanity, not just as an object of gospel proclamation, take it or leave it, but you're a human being, how can I care for you? So we listen, and then let's look what else. Immediately, when Levi becomes a follower of Jesus, he becomes immediately generous. He says, or it says, Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. So he is immediately, he doesn't even think about ways to, that he can spend his money other than providing a feast for others. So the gospel, the content of the gospel frees us to live our lives generously. So our money, our time, our homes, our whatever aren't our, aren't our gods anymore. Jesus and God the Father have become our God, our thing of worship. So now these things, are, our money, our time, our homes, become things that God has blessed us with to do mission towards other people. God wants to be known through you as a generous God. Ever thought about that? God is generous towards us in his son, in what he gives us, and just allowing us to wake up this morning. He has been generous to us. So God wants to make himself known to the world as a generous God. So how are you showing people the generosity of God? I know several of you guys have been to Guatemala. I have not been to Guatemala. I've been to Nepal, which is equally as impoverished. And me and a couple guys went up um, to this mountain village, and it was really weird. We were just kind of looking for people to talk to about the gospel. Most people have never heard the gospel, know anything about Jesus. And it was bizarre. There was the first guy we met, he was just standing on the corner of this little mountain town, winding road. Um, we got out of the van, we had our interpreter with us, and um, we went and introduced ourselves, and we said, we're just we're Christians from the United States, and we're just wanting to talk to people about who Jesus is. And he was like, he was like flabbergasted. His jaw hit the floor. Apparently, a month prior, um, he had gone to this village and met some guy, a, a Nepali there, not an American, and became a Christian a month, a month before. And he had come back to his village, and he had no idea what that meant for him now. Like, how do I live life now as a Christian? Um, and we hung out with him all afternoon. Um, and his, he invited us in to his little mud hut where his two little babies were, and they happened to have... I don't know where they got them, but they had three packs of ramen noodles that they cooked for us. It was probably, I don't know, a couple weeks' worth of money for food for them and gave us bananas and apples and peaches and stuff, and we were just 
and you're not supposed to eat the fruit. So we're just like, God, I, you, I trust you're sovereign. <laughs> and, uh, and, but we stayed for hours and talked to these people, these people who have nothing, opened their home, their food, their time with us, and were generous towards us. This meal that cost them so much, they were generous. They never thought about it because they understood what the gospel has done in their life has made them generous towards those around us or towards them. So are you generous? I know a lot of you guys are mid-high high school students. Some of you don't even have jobs. So, but if the ones that you do probably don't have a ton of money. But what money you do have, do you hoard it or are you generous with it? Not only, not only money, perhaps something that you have more of than money as a student is time. Are you generous with your time? Or do you hoard that? What does it mean to hoard time? Is all you do when you get home from school, lock yourself in your room and play Xbox? Or read a book? Or whatever? Those are good things. We, I'm not saying don't do those things. But are you a hoarder? Just as, it, just as it's not bad to spend some money on yourself, it's not bad to spend some time on yourself, but are you a hoarder of your time and money? Or are you generous with that? So what does that mean? How can, how can we be generous with our time? Let's think of some ways. Yeah. Okay. What? Yeah. Okay. Hospitality. Do you guys know your neighbors? about inviting somebody over for dinner, or especially you girls, how about offering free of charge, what, babysitting for your neighbors so they can go out on a date. Do you see how that is generous of your time and how that is caring for people, listening to needs and caring for those around you? This is the mission of God. Now, don't hear me wrong. We're not just talking about social issues here, about as long as we are generous with our time and money and work at a food bank every now and then, that's all I'm talking about. That is not all I'm talking about. At some point, the mission of God is to, for people to actually, with their mouths and with their brains and their minds and their heart and soul and strength, to repent of their sin and trust in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. However, gospel mission is more than just calling people to repentance. I think it's trying to reconcile the world through our actions and our heart and our generosity towards God. Okay? So, Matt, you mentioned hospitality. Whammo. This is our next point. So, verse 29 again. Levi made a great feast in his house and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. So he invites people into his life. So you would imagine, let's say that you're just sitting on a street corner one day, and Jesus calls you to follow him, and you're like, great, where are we going? Surely we're going to Guatemala or Nepal or India or China, where these people need the gospel so much. Is this what Jesus does? Is this what... Levi does. He say, are we going to India? Are we going to Spain or Rome? What's he do? He goes home to his house. It's kind of weird, right? 
at first we might say, hey, Levi, man, you got some small dreams here. Just going home? No. I think Jesus and the gospel is calling us to live with greater intentionality in the things that we're already doing. So when we talk about mission, we will eventually talk about going to Guatemala. We will eventually talk about going to the res and these things. I think, first of all, what we want to talk about is mission in the everyday things of your life that you're already doing. So we don't want to just add a bunch of stuff. We don't want to just add a bunch of outreach events. We'll do those things. But we want to just do the things that we're already doing with greater gospel and missional intentionality. So Levi just goes home and throws a party and is hospitable. Okay, let's brainstorm a minute. I lost, I brought my whiteboard up again, but I lost my dry erase marker. So we'll just do this in our heads here. Let's pretend that all of us packed up all of our stuff. We got 40 U-Hauls and we drove to Seattle. And what we're going to do is plant a church there. We're going to plant a church in Seattle. Now, because of you, because most of you are supported by missionaries, or by um supporters here. You've got to write a you got to write a week or monthly support letter or update letter to your supporters to tell them all you're doing. So you can't waste any time here. You got to be really intentional about planning this church. So, what are we going to do here? Let's think of some practical things to do. We're moving to Seattle. How are we going to start this church? There, all of us are here, but we want to get to know the people of Seattle. So, what are we going to do? How are we going to get to know those around us in Seattle? How are you going to meet them? How and where are you going to meet them? No, practically, how and where will you meet these people? At your job, okay? At a restaurant? Starbucks. How do you meet people at Starbucks? How do you talk to random people? Yeah, okay. Get out of here. Me too. Wow. Where are you from? Great. Okay. So Starbucks. Where else? School? Community dinner? For all of Seattle. We're shooting big here. All right. Remember, we're not going to Guatemala here. We're just living, we're doing gospel intentionality and the things that we're already doing. So what are the things that we're already doing? If you guys know anything about Seattle. What do people in Seattle do? They bike. What? They drink lots of coffee. They maybe throw a Frisbee around a lot. They listen to a lot of music. They're artistic. They go to Seahawks football games. They don't go to Mariners games. Who would? Yeah. Okay. So all of these things that we just, we're just brainstorming here, some of them are just the things that we do here, right? But especially that last list, the only, rate, the, only rate, the only reason we knew what to say there is because we knew something about the people of Seattle, okay? We know what they do. We know what they like. A little bit, just as outsiders we do. But we have a pretty good guess. And so what we're going to do is we're going go to go to Seahawks games. We're not going to go to Mariners games. Uh, we're going to drink coffee. We're going to play Frisbee. We're going to go to concerts. We're going to do all these things to meet people. Okay? I got news for you. We're not going to Seattle. 
okay? Sorry. We're not packing up 50 U-Hauls. However, we are staying here. Yeah! All right. We're staying right here in Albuquerque. So we just knew, we knew a little bit about the people of Seattle just from what we've seen in movies and whatever. My guess is you guys know a little bit more about the people of Albuquerque. So what do the people of Albuquerque do? Chili. Sopapillas. Okay, I, I sense a food trend. Okay, what else? Non-Tex-Mex sopapillas. All right, what else? What? Isotopes games. What? They go to cliffs. Longboarding. Olympics. Yeah. We don't go to concerts? Okay. Uh, coffee. Okay. Do you guys kind of get where I'm going with this? Why we're thinking of these things? <laughs> yes. The only way that you can be on mission towards non-Christians is if you actually know non-Christians. You ever thought about that? Right? If all we do is hang out with each other in community, it's great. It's one of our circles. We've got to have it. God's created us for it. But if all we do is hang out with each other, then we don't know anyone that doesn't know Jesus. And we can't serve them. We can't be generous to them. We can't be hospitable toward them. Right? So let's think about these ways in which the things that we just thought about, let's do them. And let's not just do them individually, but let's do them together. So an example. So when we lived in Austin, you guys don't have this problem, but we have kids, okay? We have little kids, and kids and dogs are the easiest way to meet people. Just a little trick of the trade here. If you have a dog, you go to a dog park, or you're just walking down the street, and people will always, especially our dog, I'm sorry we didn't bring him, but we had a great Dane, and he was awesome. His name was Titus. He was like this big, and he was the greatest missional tool that God has ever given us, because people will always stop and say, oh, man check out that Marmaduke or whatever. And when we were in Kentucky, without fail, people thought they were so clever. They're like, oh, man, you're going to put a saddle on him and ride him in the derby? And we're like, no, and we've never heard that. But, hi, how are you? I'm Nathan. Um, uh, but kids, so we would go to the park a lot because our kids like to play at parks. And so before we started thinking in like in this kind of, perspective here. We would just go to the park, go for an hour, let our kids run off some steam, get back in the van and go home and take a nap. However, when we start thinking in this, in these terms as agents of reconciliation, ministers of God's reconciliation to the world, ambassadors on his behalf, then not only do we start to go to the park thinking about people as non-Christians who need Jesus, but then we start thinking about community, and we start asking people that we know in our church to go with us. Because it's a lot easier for me and Matt to go to the park and meet people, and he might know something about one of their likes that I don't like. Okay, And he can speak into that, speak into that that I wouldn't be able to. And then when that person becomes kind of, Trust, he trusts our friendship. He says, hey, these guys are kind of cool. And then might want to hang out with 
us rather than just me, okay? And then it becomes less of a missional guilt thing, right? Where I say, oh, man, I haven't shared the gospel in like two weeks. Well, maybe Matt's going to have a greater relationship with this guy than I did. And maybe Matt's the one that's actually going to do it. And praise God for that, right? It's not a missional guilt thing. So how can we do this together? Um, I'm kind of skipping around here. But our tendency in mission, when we think about it, is to fall on kind of two ends of the spectrum here. We did spectrums earlier of yappers or not doing anything at all. And kind of in the same, same line of thinking, we can tend to think about it in ways of legalism and license. Okay, we're going to talk about legalism and license in a lot of things that we talk about. This is one of them. What does legalism mean? Anybody? Yeah. Strict by the books. So if I'm a if I'm a legalist, what am I? I follow all the rules. So how might you be a legalist when we think about mission? And I think oftentimes when we think about mission, we can tend to be legalists in that if we're doing it, it's because we're good at it and we like the applause of others, right? And then we feel good about ourselves, about doing mission. But then, do you see what that is? That's works righteousness. That's trusting in my own abilities, my own skills uh, to be on mission toward toward those around us who don't know Jesus. Or, if we're not good at it, then we just stop doing it entirely, right? So this is what we talk about, license. What does license mean? Not a driver's license, but, well, kind of. What does a driver's license mean? What? Yeah, you're allowed to or you're able to. Um, this is a big word. Anybody know what it means to be licentious? Same root there, license, licentious. Anybody? Nobody? It's a good SAT word. It means you just kind of do whatever you want. There, I'm licensed to do whatever I want. There's no rules. I just get to do whatever I want. So you see how we've got two ends of the spectrum here? Legalism, where I do everything by the book, by the rules, and license or licentious, licentiousness being that there's no rules for me. I can do whatever I want. So... These are our two errors when we think about mission. I'm going to do it because I have to. I become guilty when I don't. Or I just stop doing it completely. Okay? So which of those are you? We'll talk more about these in our small groups here in just a minute. What I want to say to you guys is that both of these, in legalism and license, are a failure to believe the content of the gospel. That Jesus died the death that you should have died and lived the life that you should have lived so that you might be a son or daughter of God, right? Jesus gives you his righteousness. 
you, don't, you do not have to perform for it any longer. You do not have to perform for God to accept you. And you don't have to pretend to be something that you're not. Right? Jesus accepts you because he gives you his righteousness and takes his sin upon yourself. So, if we believe the cross chart that we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, then there's no room for missional guilt or missional license. Okay? One last story so that you trust me in this. Uh, don't just think I'm a bag of hot air. Yesterday, we have some quite a bit of extra stuff that we had when we moved to Albuquerque. And so we had this big uh, dresser that we no longer need. So we put it on Craigslist. Um, lady emails me yesterday morning, says, we'd like this. What are the dimensions? I, I give it to her. She's like, we're looking for a truck. Um, we'll hopefully get over there by this afternoon. So I said, um, well, I think it'll fit in our van. I can just take it to you. And uh, so we go over, or I go over yesterday afternoon, and it's this guy and his wife, probably 30 years old, and they have a five-day-old baby that was born on Monday. Not only five days, but the baby was five weeks premature. I was astounded that this baby was even allowed home yet. Um, so me and the husband take out the dresser, move it in, whatever. And as I, I was just asking him questions as we were moving this thing in. They're not from here. They're from California. They've been here for a year or two. Um, don't have family here, all that. And uh, so I just kind of filed that away. And as I was walking out the door, I was just like, hey, you know, we're, we're new here too, but my wife, we have three kids, and I'm sure she would love to hang out with you, Amanda, this girl, anytime. Um, and so I moved towards her a little bit, but she was just like, okay, great. Um, then I was like, now, there needs to be a little bit more here. So last night, I just emailed them. They emailed me from the Craigslist thing. So I, I gave them the, the little thing at the beginning saying, I know this sounds really weird. I don't really do this. I've never done this via Craigslist. However, um, one thing that was so great for us when we moved to Albuquerque three weeks ago was our friends that we've gotten to know here provided us meals because we had a four-week-old baby here when we moved. Um, and it was just an easy thing for us to just not have to worry about meals. And so since you guys, like us, don't have family here, we'd love to just try to organize a little meal calendar for you guys. Just so you don't have to think about this. She hasn't replied yet. <laughs> she may think I'm really weird and kind of creepy. And if so, that's great. Whatever. So much you can do. However, um, do you see what happened there? listening to needs, trying to serve and be generous, and then, this is a little more subtle, inviting you guys into that mission. My hope is that when she emails back, I say, great, and we get on, we get on it, and we make a little meal calendar for her so she doesn't have to worry about meals for her five-week premature baby for the next three weeks. And we do this together. And we begin to love this family and serve them together. And then she trusts us. She and Amanda and Phil begin to trust us and know that we actually love them and care for them, not just some object of evangelism, right? But we actually love them, care for them, serve them, 
so that one day they might feel comfortable coming to Desert Springs or be more receptive to the gospel when it's actually preached to them. Okay? So, this is what I'm talking about here. Yesterday, the hardcore legalist might say I was a coward and I should have just sat down and gone through the cross chart with them or um, called them to repentance and faith. And that may be. And at some points in our lives, that may absolutely be necessary. God is calling us to, to proclaim the gospel to someone that we don't know. More often than not, I think, our job as Christians is to love, serve, care for, be generous toward the world around us so that we have a, a credible voice for the gospel. If we're just loudmouth yappers, most people don't care. Now, hear me on that. God has to do a work in their heart for them to care. Um, but how can we be more generous and hospitable as a community shaped by the content of the gospel? Okay? All right. So this is not our annual mission evangelism talk, okay? Right? We're not going to go out and this week share the gospel with all of our neighbors and then a week from now be burned out and feel guilty about how we haven't shared the gospel, okay? This is something we're going to talk about and think through practical ways. This Seattle church planning thing, we're going to continue to do the things that we've talked about and brainstorm ways to get to know those in our community around us, to serve and care and be generous toward, okay? So this is something we're going to be doing all the time. So if you're kind of annoyed by this talk and just want to talk about systematic theology, then there's the door, okay? Because we're going to be doing this stuff. We're going to be caring for those around us. Not only those in our neighborhood, but eventually the res. Not only just those, for, those in New Mexico, but eventually in Guatemala and the nations. Okay? This is what we're doing. The content of the gospel shapes our community, who then sends us out towards those who don't know Jesus. Okay?